I have a guest with me today who I'm so excited to introduce to you, although I bet most of you know him. Um, he is involved in, uh, he's got an amazing following. He's got law enforcement expertise. Uh, he's dabbled a bit in uh, politics and uh, Brandon Tatum. Now you got a book. We're going to talk about that. Welcome to the show. So Brandon, you are the author of a new book called Beaten ba Black and Blue. And uh, I, but I really want to emphasize the, the subtitle, Being a Black Cop in an America Under Siege. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about a little bit about your law enforcement career and how you came to be where you're at today. Yeah, I think, uh, and thanks for having me on, Betsy. I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's such a pleasure to have me, met you the other day at my book signing. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I'm, I'm glad I can speak to your audience as well. Um, it's funny because I wanted the book just to read being a cop in America under siege and, and a publishing company thought it was unique that, you know, I happen to be a black cop in, in this in this situation in America where cops are, are betrayed as being racist and and all of those different things. So it, it adds value to a unique experience that I have in law enforcement. Um, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, I never thought about being a cop. Not one day in my life. You know, my, my first interaction with police officers when I was eight years old, I got arrested. I think I was eight or nine. I got arrested for smoking marijuana in the vacant house. And so, and, and to be honest, I was more afraid of my dad than the police officers. So um, that was kind of my first experience. You know, I grew up in an environment where, you know, we just believed police officers were racist and they didn't like black people. And, and so that led me to having a certain belief. And when I got to college is when things really open up for me because growing up in a, I would call it an Afrocentric perspective, meaning I'm just around nothing but black people. And when I went to college, I, it opened up my mind, meeting people from all around the country, different experiences, people that are outside of my community. And I started really reflecting and thinking like, you know what, the world is bigger than what I was growing up believing. And I got saved in 2008 and that's what really changed my life. You know, I stopped looking at color and stopped looking at people um, outside of looking at them as God's children and, and giving everything a fair shot. Once again, you know, getting that racist, you know, mentality and victim mentality out of my mind. And later in 2010, when I was, in, I entered the NFL draft, I didn't get drafted like I wanted to. And I just was looking for a job, essentially. I, I really, again, I never thought about being a police officer. And then I did a ride along. Um, well, let me go back. You know, I applied for the police department. Didn't think they would call me back. They called me back and I was shocked. And so I said, I need to figure out what's going on because I don't know nothing about policing. So I did a ride along with uh, an officer who's an incredible officer in Tucson, Officer Sean Payne. And it blew my mind. And, and, and I felt like I, the first time I saw a hero was in Sean Payne. And I said, you know what, God, I really want to do this job. I really want to be a hero like Sean. And I joined the police department and the rest is history. Well, and I got to say, you know, you're a fellow Arizonan like I am. And my husband, Dave Smith, started uh, in the 1970s in law enforcement in the Tucson Police Department. And Tucson, Arizona can be a very dangerous city. And uh, so you saw a lot of things. And I think you ended up as their, uh, were you their public information officer for a while? Yeah, I was, a, I was a PIO for about a year. Right, right. So you dealt with the media and all that. And I know that then your perspective started to broaden, didn't it, outside of the Tucson Police Department? Oh, yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, um, I learned a lot in the police department and, and I met a lot of great people. 
you know, like I said, Officer Sean Payne was one of the first people, my friend Woody and all these other guys that I met really changed my political perspective as well, because I was going into this thing and I was a, a staunch Democrat, as, as you would say, I, I grew up that way without having a real reason to be that way, other than the fact that I was black. And a lot of my colleagues were, were asking, pending these questions to me and saying, look, you know, I, I don't think that you really associated with that side. You are more conservative. Um, you believe in God. You don't believe in abortion. You believe in, you know, marriage, the, the way that God intended it to be, all of these things. And I started really waking up and saying, you know what, maybe I am more conservative than I am liberal. And that kind of changed the trajectory of my politics. Uh, for the first time in my life, I voted for a Republican and, and, and so on and so forth. But I think those experiences that I experienced with the Tucson Police Department and the people there really, um, you know, I, I guess thrusted me to the position that I am today and, and some of the political mindset that I have. What, what got you to pick up your phone and make that first video? <laughs> Oh man, that first video. Um, I, I never made videos before. I, I really was just posting about Jesus on my on my uh, Facebook page, you know, I, and I would post it and maybe a hundred people would respond, the same hundred people that go to, I go to church with and I interact with, you know, and that's all the thought process was. But um, like I said, I was getting more political. Uh, I liked Ben Carson. I, I really wanted to vote for him as the president. I thought he's, I thought he was a tremendous man. I thought he was, I mean, I still think he's a tremendous man. I thought he would be a tremendous candidate for president and he dropped out of the race and endorsed Donald Trump. And at the time I was like, why would he endorse Donald Trump? Donald Trump is just in this to embarrass all these politicians and he's going to go back to being a billionaire. However, he ended up coming to Tucson and I said, you know what, as a informed voter, if, if I'm going to consider anybody, I need to actually go and listen to their platform and not listen to what the media says and all this other stuff. I want to hear the person out, see if he's a racist like they said he was. And if he is, I, I'll know that I would never vote for that person. And I end up going to the event and it was so shocking to me that I said, I need to inform the people that I know. I thought just a hundred people about what I experienced, but I was really too lazy to type it all out. So I said, let me just make a video. And, and I just pulled up the video and I gave uh, uh, my experience in a very impartial way. I wasn't a supporter of Trump. I wasn't any of it. I just went to the event and I saw how deranged the protesters were. And I saw how reasonable Donald Trump was and how reasonable the people there were. It was you no know, racism and all the stuff that the media were, were portraying. He didn't get out there and say he hate Mexicans and say all kind of crazy stuff that you would expect him to say if you listen to the media. I felt like he gave really a pro-American principles that I believed in. And that, that really, you know, inspired me to make that video and it, and it went crazy. I thought I was gonna get fired because somebody got beat up at the event. And I was like, that's what he get. He should have been after acting a fool. Nobody would have beat him up. And I'm like, oh, you know, when it went, once it went viral, I was like, oh man, the chief is gonna watch this and I'm, like, I'm gonna get fired, you know, but it, I didn't get fired. And it ended up leading me to making more videos and content because I realized that I had a unique perspective and a voice. So then you get involved in something called Blexit. In fact, I believe you're the co-founder, right? Yes, ma'am. So talk a little bit about how you made that decision. And, and then I want to talk about what, what it was like to leave the relative security of a police job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah those, those are great. Those are great questions. And, and, and it was a very, uh, you know, unique position I was placed in. And, and I think if it wasn't for God and it wasn't for me being bold, I don't think I would have made it through that. But um, once I made videos on the police department, I made another video about 
about uh, Colin Kaepernick and my disappointment and disdain for him kneeling during the national anthem because I felt that that action was incredibly disrespectful to our founding fathers, to our to our forefathers, to to the people in the black community who fought so hard to give us, you know, to to get us in a position to have equal rights and freedom. And I felt it was so disrespectful. I made that video and it had 70 million views. And that's when I left the Tucson Police Department, um, you know, kind of on a, uh, I would say a calculated risk. Um, I was still certified as a police officer. I said, let me just try something different for a year and I'll come back. I end up never coming back. But I left that for a, a conservative organization to be their spokesperson. Um, that organization, I left that organization after about three months because they almost, you know, took a complete spill given the fact that Facebook algorithm changed and they almost went out of business. So I went to Turning Point USA with Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk. And, and how I got there was because me and Candace had become uh, really good friends. And she said, hey, you need to come work for them. It's a great organization. And then in 2018, and this was, this was in 2017 and in 2018, Candace Owens and I decided to co-found Blexit, which is a play on words. You know, Brexit is the British exit and the Blexit is kind of the black exit from what we would consider to be the Democrat plantation. Although the, the organization is not necessarily about politics, it's about waking up and, and opening your eyes to, to having a, a more balanced thought process and, and being able to become the best version of yourself and, and things like that. So I joined that organization, we co-founded that organization with Candace Owens. It's been a tremendous success. I think we are we in all but probably six states now and we started from scratch. I mean, we were in one city in, in Tennessee and then we just sprouted all over the country. Um, I think probably by the end of the year or maybe the, the first quarter next year, we'll be in all 50 states. That's extraordinary. And you also, you do a lot of uh, um, commentator work. You know, I know you're on Fox News and, and then you have your own YouTube channel and you get involved in, uh, you know, not just politics, you also speak out about various law enforcement issues. Um, one of the most notable things you've done is your um, your comments and your investigative work on the Breonna Taylor situation, right? Yeah, that was a that was a case that was that hit hard for me um, because I felt like the media had come out and had lied so much, and once I found out the truth, I was enraged that people wouldn't be simply they wouldn't simply be honest about it, and they portrayed these law enforcement officers, Sergeant Maddenly being one of them is a person that I've become good friends with lately, but um, you know, they portrayed him as these, these crazy racist white cops doing illegal warrants on a black girl's house who was just laying in bed, sleeping and minding her business. And it was not true. And I felt like the police always get a bad rap. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote that book, because I feel like police are always getting a bad rap and, and like nobody's informed about these things. And most people don't do any research. They look at the news and they say, oh, they, they had no business doing a no-knock warrant. And I'm like, it wasn't a no-knock warrant. They had a no-knock exception, but they knocked. And, 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 and to me, I think that's what really got her killed. If they would have done a no-knock, I feel like she probably would be alive today. But, you know, so it, it really bothered me. And once I found out the truth and the intricate investigation of, that they were investigating her, that she wasn't really an EMT. She had been in trouble before, or at least investigated before for uh, her having a rental car with a dead body found in it. This Jamarcus Glover guy uh, was, was knee deep in the criminal behavior. They got pole cam, they got, they, got not, they got jailhouse calls. And all of this is out there in the mainstream media did nothing. They didn't say nothing. They didn't report nothing. 
and, and they're trying to act like this is a racist issue. And so I was I was enraged and, and Sergeant Manley got shot in the process. And I'm like, where's the justice for him? He literally got shot and they were just doing their job. They pay out the family millions of dollars. And then the officers who were actually doing their job after getting criticized and ridiculed and threatened, having their lives in danger, um, once they, you know, go through their little bullcrap investigation and find out that the officers did nothing wrong, they get nothing in return. They just have to take it on the chin. And so um, that was one of the cases I felt like I had to say something about and I had to do something about. So then uh, we have the George Floyd situation. You know, we, George Floyd dies in, the, in police custody and that unleashes um, a, an atmosphere that we have, you know, I've been in law enforcement for 40 years now. I've never seen anything like this. The closest that we came was the Michael Brown shooting um, and that post-Ferguson effect as we talk about. But then in a post-George Floyd era, all of a sudden, you know, cops are absolutely beyond vilified and it's all based on race. And so then you decide to write a book about being a black cop in America. And I've just got to say, as a resident of Arizona, uh, being a black cop in a state that has only about 6% um, of our population is black. And, and so you're you decided to tell the story, not just your story, but the story of other police officers. T tell me how that all evolved. Yeah, so I started out saying that, you know what, I just want to expose people to the truth of law enforcement and give them a perspective from a person who did it. And it because almost every time I talk to somebody and I explain the intricate nuances of policing, they're completely shocked and have no idea that this goes on. And even I had that effect. When I became a police officer, I was like, I didn't know police officers did all this stuff. I mean, I was completely, you know, watching cops isn't enough. Watching Police 360 or whatever those shows are just a, a small fraction of what police officers actually go through. But then I started thinking, my story is unique, but I don't have the only story, you know? So there's other black officers that I know that are currently working. Cause I had, I had left the police department in 2017 and there's white officers that I know that are currently working that have an incredible story and can give a perspective in this era of what it's like being a police officer. And I wanted to initially give a, a different perspective of being a black cop because it's sort of unique to a certain degree because you get hatred from all sides. And that's why the title was beating black and blue. You know, it was like I was criticized for being black in a police officer because I'm a sellout to my own people and working for the white man and massa tell me what to do. And then wearing a uniform in general, people just hate you anyway. And getting pushback from just being in law enforcement in general and having people attack us for no apparent reason, but because they're following the, the brainwashing of, of, of social media and the, and the mainstream media. So I, I thought it would be very good and a great idea to not only address issues like police brutality, defunding the police, what does that really look like? but also giving other officers a story and saying, okay, what is it like working in Baltimore? You know, one of our officers worked in Baltimore. What is it like working in, you know, uh, in Tucson, you know, as a white cop in, in, in today's society? And, and I felt like I wanted to give that perspective. And at the very end of the book, we give solutions. I wanted to make it quick, a quick read. It's 144 pages where a person don't feel like they have to spend three years trying to read this book and digest it, but it's a quick uh, digestible read to get, the, the basic foundation of law enforcement and kind of what's going on in our climate today. Well, and that's the thing uh, about the book. It's a, it is a quick read. Um, and it, 
it does offer solutions. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about it. Plus, it's just interesting. I mean, it's a fun book, whether you've been a cop or you want to know more about what it's like to be a cop. Um, the book provides all of that. And, uh, and we are at a, a stage now in this country where we really need solutions, don't we, to some of these issues. 100%. I, I, you know, everybody's got a lot to say, but they don't have an end goal. They don't have a solution base. And I feel like most, most of our leaders and politicians, even police chiefs, they don't, they don't have an end goal. They just want to go along to get along. They want to get on TV. They got their stars and, and they want to come out and say, I'm the leader of this department and I'm going to be such a social justice warrior today. But they don't have a solution to the problem. They don't even want to engage in a solution. A lot of these, and I, I like to blame police chiefs because they are the ones that are out here spewing this stuff most of the time. They get out there and they talk about what's wrong with the police department, but they don't want to say, no, no, we got problems in the community too. And it's not just the police department that needs to reach out. It's the community that needs to reach out as well. Do you want a relationship in, in, in any sense? A relationship, it, it takes two participants. You know, you can't have a marriage without both people working at it. And I wish that the leaders who are in law enforcement have the most visible uh, platforms will say some of these things, but they're too cowardice to say it in many of these cases. Some reason, some of the reasons in municipal police departments is because they're literally owned by the city council and some sheriffs may have uh, a little bit more to say, but, you know, I, I just wish that these police chiefs will, will step out and say more and have more solutions because I feel like that their words have a lot of value in, 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 in curbing the narrative that we have today. You know, one of the things that we, we see a lack of discussion about, and you kind of intimated that, is we talk a lot about how the police are the problem and the things that we need to do to, to improve and this and that. We don't talk much anymore about criminality. And I think part of that is because there's a very uncomfortable conversation when we talk about criminality as far as who's committing violent crime. We hear that our system is racist and there's more black people in prison than there should be. And there's more black people arrested by American law enforcement than we should be arresting. Um, and that's difficult to talk about. It's certainly difficult for somebody like me to talk about as a, as a middle-aged white woman. How can we further that conversation? Yeah, I think that people, I think that I understand the, 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 the difficulty because our society is so warped and, and, and I would argue completely stupid when it comes to people speaking truth. Because if you're white, you can't tell the truth about black people. You know, if you're black, you can say whatever you wanna say, essentially. But if you're white, you can't say the truth about black people. And, 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 it's, and it's sad that we live in a state like that. However, there needs to be truth in order for us to get solutions. We can't just run around lying to each other and, and just make it make, and make believe world and think something is gonna change. If a person believes that there is a problem, which I think it is, of, of Black people being disproportionately incarcerated, then let's talk about the truth of the matter so we can get to the bottom of it and we can actually see some changes. The truth of the matter is that Black people in America, and I would say Black people, mostly Black males in America, are committing disproportionate amounts of crime. 54% uh, of all uh, uh, murder arrests are Black men. That's a crazy number when you think about black men in this country only make up 6% of the population. And if you think about the black men who are actually committing crimes, I wouldn't say half of them are, because that'll be 3%. So you could say half of half, which, which would be you know an even lower percentage than 3% of the population committing over half our murders. 
nearly half of violent crimes. If we would say, okay, let's look at that. And now let's digest why are young black men committing so much crime? Maybe it's fatherlessness. Maybe it's environmental issues. Maybe it's uh, perpetuated issues from in the past, whatever you want to call it. If we understand that it's not about race, it's about behavior that people are displaying, which are leading them to be arrested at disproportionate numbers, we can fix those things. If you look at George Floyd's situation, you say, look, the, the guy is a nut. He was arrested, I don't know how many times. He's on drugs. He's committing a crime which necessitated law enforcement response. He's wrong. And also the police officer's wrong. You don't put your knee on somebody's neck until they die. You, I, that's just not something that you're trained to do. And so if we can look at both of those situations and say, what can we improve for the citizen citizens and what can we improve in law enforcement? And also have a, a clear conversation about, was that even taught for you to kill somebody and, and stay on their neck for a, a disproportionate amount of time? That's not even taught. So when you talk about police reform, and I know I could go down a rabbit hole with this. When you talk about police reform, let's talk about real tangible things that can be reformed. If you shoot a, if a cop shoot a man in the back, what are we reforming? If that cop gets you know, prosecuted and goes to jail, that's the way the system works. They don't teach cops to shoot people in the back, especially unlawfully. Absolutely. Brandon, where can people find you, uh, listen to you, and where can they buy the book? Also, you can just go to theofficertatum.com, which is my website. You can find my YouTube channel there. You can find my merch store there. You can find my book there. I mean, everything Tatum will be on theofficertatum.com. Also, all of my social media links are there. My biggest platform that I speak on every single day, I think two or three times a day I make videos, is on my YouTube channel at The Officer Tatum YouTube channel. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.